0: Today in the garage, we have Rudy Kovray. Rudy has conducted hundreds of trials at both the Ontario Court of Justice and the Superior Court. A relentless advocate who approaches every case with leave-no-stone-unturned attitude. Rudy has garnered a reputation as a fierce advocate who strives for victory in each and every case that he defends. Through Zoom today, Rudy gave us an insight into how he builds his relationship with his clients. Whether you're driving a Dodge Ram pickup with a 5.5 short box, pounding the 808s on your drums, or prepping for a client interview, let's step into the garage, listen to the experts, and get to know. Hey Rudy, thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Paul. Great being with you guys.
0: I know that today we're going to talk about how important it is to have a relationship with your client. Yes. And uh, I know that you care about your clientele, but also I've heard you say the tail does not wag the dog. Let's share some of your wisdom with the uh, (laughs) young lawyers and uh, people interested in becoming criminal lawyers.
1: Well, there's a lot, you know. There's there's so many areas we can cover, um, but I think perhaps um, a chronological perspective would be the best. Um, obviously, uh, it's it's pretty self evident that the client interview is usually preceded by the client phone call. Whether that phone call is uh, in custody or out of custody, that is really your first interaction with your client, and. With respect to that, that is as critical as the client meeting itself because it sets the stage for the relationship that you're about to embark on. Um, The one rule of of many, but the one primary rule that I have when discussing um, or talking to someone over the phone is to not discuss any of the facts of the particular case. I prefer to do that um, in my office where confidentiality and security Uh, is present, as opposed to uh, discussing it over the phone.
0: You you know, it sounds as if, you know, you get that call and of course, that call doesn't always happen between nine and five, could happen at three o'clock in the morning. The person on the other side is panicked, they may never have interacted with the police before, they don't know what to do. And I imagine that might take them aback when you tell them, appropriately tell them, uh, we're not going to discuss this until you're in my office. How do you ease their uh jitters and their nervousness and gain their confidence
1: um well the whole notion of speaking with someone uh either face to face or over the phone is the first step in doing that Um, you can impart inflection over the phone or face to face as opposed to text messages or email messages you definitely want to hear their concerns you definitely impress upon them that You've done the right thing by calling a lawyer and that I'm prepared to do whatever it takes to assist you depending on what assistance they require at that time. Obviously there's a a big chasm between someone who got charged with a theft under um, and and just wants to come in and discuss the matter with you uh, you know versus someone who's in custody on more serious charges. Uh, Nonetheless the discussion always has the same fundamentals of hearing them out of letting them know that you're prepared to assist them and just And I find that once you do tell them that you wish to not discuss the facts over the phone and do it in person, that actually strangely enough puts them at ease um, because they really get a sense that this guy knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. He's certainly prepared to see me. He just wants to, you know, and I say, it's not for my benefit, it's for your benefit not to do it right now. So you get the, the essentials in terms of what they're charged with. Uh, what jurisdiction they're in when their court appearances are coming up and then you try to secure a meeting as soon as possible that's critical especially young lawyers to understand that it's not one of these situations where yeah you know what let me check my schedule i think i have an opening you know week thursday they want to see you they want to see you as soon as possible and that is one of the you know important strategies in securing a client
0: I think one of the uh, extra benefits uh, when you address a client like that is you're able to calm them down, know that you're there for them, that you're going to see them very soon. And the time between them making that call and actually seeing you, I I think they actually listen and stop talking about it. And it allows that panic or that shock to slow down and they understand there's going to be a process and sometimes they even sleep better and they tell me and I am sure they tell you that when they came in, they said, thank goodness for that call. You you, you made it easier. And, and, and then you're able to proceed with the real hard work at hand.
1: Absolutely, and, and of course, one of the things you do discuss during that call is to in fact tell them straight out, you know, don't discuss this with anyone. Um, if the police call you back, you call me first. Just letting them know that you're there uh, to guide them through this difficult phase in their lives. Right.
0: When they finally come in the office, how do you prepare yourself for that interview? And how do you prepare them or how do you discuss with um, them? Uh, or let me just go back. So, uh, when they finally come in the office, uh, what do you do to ensure that you're prepared for that interview?
1: Well, you know, having done it for so long, it's it's almost, um, you know, routine or mechanical at this stage. Um, the, the critical thing for me when a client comes in, obviously it's the first impression that you have, right? And that they have, um, you want to make them feel it. Like, My office um, is purposely uh, set up in a certain way. I have a number of mementos around, I have pictures of, uh, you know, Various things, including some relating to hockey when my, you know, when my son was playing and me coaching, some relating to other activities, and what I try to do almost from the outset is try to find a personal connection between myself and that client. Uh, you'd be amazed as to, you know, uh, how many times a client, oh, uh, your son played for, you know, uh, this particular team. Uh, My son was on that team or in the same kind of organization. And that immediately starts to put them at ease. The initial process is an intake process where you wanna just get their background information all the particulars that you need in order to open the file. Uh, You know, you you go through, I always go through uh, whether it's a release order or an undertaking, I make sure that I go through it from A to Z with them uh, despite the fact that someone else may have already gone through it. Uh, I think it's important to exercise that due diligence. You'd be amazed—you'd uh, <laughs> be amazed as to how many people confuse um, a date to get pictures and prints with the date to actually go to court. And um, you know, for us, it's it's self-evident, but it's a, it's incredible how many people think that that pictures and prints date well—that's their first appearance, and they've got to appear in courtroom two hundred one in Newmarket on that date. Um, let's go through all of that, and that's that's starting to set the stage in terms of building confidence with your client, that you're taking the time to go through much of the, you know, what may be very, you know, straightforward remedial, um, you know, facts, right? In terms of just going through an order, for example. But um, it's, you know, it's easy for us, but for them, especially if they've never been through the process, this is all new to them, they're confused, And you want to just make sure that they understand everything correctly. And you go through it several times.
0: So you explain the mechanics from an intellectual level, but I know in speaking to you, you also deal with the client from an EQ level, an emotional quotient level. And one of the things that uh, you pointed out to me before this interview that I thought was amazing and something that I want to take home and learn from was, I hear you don't only sit in your own chair behind your
1: desk. No, I don't. Share that with us. Well, um, as odd as this may sound, um, there are times where I simply get out of my chair, because you're always looking at the same thing. And I go and I sit on the opposite side of my desk. And I sit in the client chairs. And I look around. And I do that to get a perspective in terms of what the client is seeing. What, What is the client seeing when they come into my office? Um, what are some of the, um, intriguing features perhaps that they make you win on? And also for a sense of perspective that this is what it feels like to be on the opposite side of this desk. And I think that really, at least for me, it gives me pause and I think it assists me in in being a little bit more empathetic towards my clients in terms of what they're going through.
0: You know, when I was uh, growing up and dreaming of one day being a lawyer, um, I read Charles Dickens' great Expectations, and it always struck me yeah. about how he described a lawyer um, sitting uh, with this big massive chair high up with this grand desk. And the clients were on this like little teeny chair in, uh, to show that, that you know, they were little individuals, and the lawyer was this great thing and, 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 and the way in which you, you, you just described it. It's got to make your clients uh, feel comfortable. And I would imagine that would be like some manner in which in the back of their mind, uh, as a client, they would start building trust.
1: So I think it's important to to be at the same level with your client at that stage when you're speaking with them, whether whether it's the initial interview or or subsequent interviews. Um, there's no need to sort of have a ominous you know presence. Uh, to sort of be above them in any way. You want some parity there. Uh, they're going to be anxious enough when they go into court, whenever we get back to court, and they're going to have uh, a judge sitting on a dais uh, well above everyone else. Um, so to, to put them at ease uh, when you're speaking to them in the office, I think is, is critical, again, in showing that you are on their team, that you are with them, that you you know you're side by side. You're not above them in any way and you're there to lead them through this challenge.
0: How do you continue uh, along the path to ensure that you are building long-term trust throughout the relationship?
1: Simple, communication. Communication is so key. Um, I I cannot tell you how many times I've been approached by clients who have um, either retained other lawyers or were engaged with other lawyers and that they're not getting any feedback whatsoever. They're they're unable to get a hold of them. Uh, they're not replying to them. Uh, so communication and being accessible, I think, is critical. Now, there's also a, you know a fine balance that one has to strike there, because uh, as we both know, there's clients come in all shapes and sizes. There are some that are just incredibly needy, and and understandably so, but so you know needy to the extent that they're calling you daily or communicating with you daily. So you do have to manage expectations in that regard, um, and just, but still let them know that you're gonna keep them updated when things come up. You know, sometimes all they're looking for is, you know, when's the next court appearance and what can I expect from that court appearance? And as long as you impart that information, um, that continues to build the the relationship and and, and conti- continues to build bona fides in that relationship um, during this process. So. For me, communication is key. Um, accessibility is also key, but we also have lives. Uh, you know, we have, we have families. So, you know, if clients start to call you at 9.30, 10 at night, and it's for something that is not urgent, um, you set them straight. You set them straight at that point, and you say, listen, this is something we can discuss during regular business hours. There's absolutely no need for you to call me at this time. And for the most part, they get the message.
0: You know, many people won't know, but in 1993, there was a brand new law firm. And I still have a picture from the law times of uh, two uh, new partners, uh, Rudy Covey and uh, Paul Cooper. Um, and yes. I know that uh, working with you, uh, we as a team really felt that the relationship with the client was so important and that we'd have to build it. And I know because I, I started in real estate, but you were always the criminal lawyer. And one of the reasons why I ended up being a full-time criminal lawyer was because you walked me through the path to help me see how wonderful a life it would be and how rewarding it would be. So uh, I, I know that one of the things you taught me was the communication was so important, not only about you know what's going on and and staying in touch with the client, But I learned from you to communicate the truth to the client as to where they stand when you review the disclosure with them. And you talk that's how you build trust. Never forget. Um,
1: That you have to be transparent with respect to that. Again, it goes back to setting realistic expectations with your client. Um, you, You don't you certainly don't want to give them any false hope. Um, but then again, you don't want to put them in a position where they're feeling, you know, so downtrodden and depressed over what's going on that they lose hope. Um, you, you need to strike that balance there as well. But there has to be transparency. Um, it, sometimes the reality is, you, you know, it's very, I, I use the analogy of a doctor um, with my clients on many occasions because, uh, for example, doctors can't always give a patient good news. Um, if if they have a certain ailment, um, whether it's cancer or some other form uh, of, of a, you know, debilitating disease, they have to be told. Um, the same applies also, the same analogy applies with respect to, you know, clients when they come in and they give you, you know, a little bit of a story and they immediately want to know what's going to happen at the end of the day and what I try to explain to them is, well, You know, if if you go into a doctor's office and you say I have a headache, you know, what is it? The first thing they're going to do is, well, we we have to run some tests. And basically, that's what we're doing as criminal lawyers. We have to run those tests. We have to review that disclosure. We have to determine what the defenses are. We have to see if there are any, you know, viable charter challenges or any other forms of applications. And much of that won't happen until we have full uh, and complete disclosure. So. They need to appreciate the fact that we have to go through our paces uh, before we're able to give them, you know, a a, a reasonable um, sense of where this case is heading. So it, it, you definitely have to be transparent. You have to tell them, you know, what is happening at every each and every stage of the proceeding. Is my view.
0: And when you have that full information and you share that full information do your clients. Do they feel as if they can trust you, so they can make their own powerful decision?
1: I think they yes, absolutely. I, I you know, the, you know, clients are supposed to instruct us, um, but they can only properly instruct us if they're armed with the information requisite in that instruction. So that's the role of the defense counsel: is to provide them with the information and to provide them with the options of where this matter is heading. Um, so that's, that's why it's critically important to make sure that they're fully informed in order that they make a fully informed decision as to how to instruct counsel.
0: Can you share with us any uh, example um, where uh, we can help uh, delineate exactly what you're saying for new counsel so that they can have the confidence to be able to have that tough conversation provide their client with the uh, immense amount of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of knowledge.
1: There are, I, I could give you a, a more recent example of just, you know, um, a lawyer having to, you know, let their client know where they stand. And that was just actually within the last week or so. I have a client who uh, came here as a <clears throat> refugee from Syria. He is now um, a, a permanent resident uh, re- and and it just a wonderful human being, hardworking man, uh, young man, and regrettably um, was charged with uh, an impaired over 80 um, back in 2019. And one of the concerns was how this would impact his um, his immigration status here, how it would impact his uh, permanent residency status and i wasn't he he went to get some independent legal advice with respect to immigration law but i'm not sure who he spoke with um but i i i just didn't find the advice that he was getting to be fruitful in any way so i did my own independent uh, research and explaining to him that i'm not an immigration lawyer and and regrettably um the news wasn't good because uh, as of 2018 um december when bill c46 was uh, imposed, uh, changing uh, many sections of the code, including the impaired uh, and dangerous operation uh, sections of the code, that had a instant impact on ERPA, which is the Immigration Refugee um, Protection Act. Um, and ERPA states that, and I won't be too too exhaustive here, basically states that serious criminal charges or serious criminality uh, will certainly impact Um, your your stats. And hitherto, prior to that, uh, impaired uh, driving charges didn't reach that level. Unfortunately, now they do. So it was with some hesitation that I, you know, picked up the phone and called him. And, you know, I don't like giving bad news, but unfortunately, um, the reality is that if he is found guilty, and we we haven't uh, gone to trial yet, but if he is found guilty, um, His immigration status, his PR status, is going to be significantly impacted, which which is sad because it's it's one it's it's one defining moment in his life. um, of very very poor decision making, but it's going to have such a consequential impact should they be found guilty.
0: Well, I wish you those are tough. I wish you luck on that. Sorry, I wish you luck on that because you know just hearing you speaks of your character. And this, and so I want to expand on this because you obviously have a certain philosophy in dealing with those that may knock on your door and say that they've been charged with an offense. What's your philosophy on taking clients?
1: The primary, I guess, in terms of a philosophy or in terms of a stance, um, if they come to you and if you... A seat to the request to represent them, then you have to give it your all, uh, irrespective of their socioeconomic status, irrespective of retainer amount, irrespective of, you know, how they may have come to you. Um, once, once you agree to represent them, and you don't necessarily have to in every case, but once you agree to represent them, um, you have to fulfill every obligation uh, that is expected of you in terms of, uh, def- you know, being a defense lawyer. So. That's that's my primary philosophy, and I try to impart that on them because you do get you know I've had a number of clients come in and say oh you know I know this is in a really serious you know case it's just a fraud or it's just you know and and I try to you know explain to them that I, I don't really differentiate um, you you're the one that has this you know sort of domicles hanging over you in terms of a criminal charge um, and regardless of the nature of the charge um, it's critical to you know, to try to get that charge dispensed with, and hopefully by way of a withdrawal or an acquittal down the road.
0: I know that when we were in law school, uh, we used to uh, discuss that uh, there would be never a situation where I would ever turn anyone down. I know ethically that we're there to defend individuals and uh, everybody's entitled to defense. So I know for me personally, that uh, up until a few years ago, i take anything that came in the door. The only reason that things stop me now is depending on the amount of resources needed uh, to defend a person. I, I'm talking about time because I, I may not have the same energy I had before. I agree, I agree. Uh, but, but I know we've all taken on cases uh, that may, you know, upset us, uh, but we put on the blinders. And so, right. let's talk about those blinders uh, that we've put on throughout our career, and why it's so important to do that.
1: Um, absolutely, um, the focus I, the focus should be on what I try to do. Um, as much as I I try to develop a personal uh, relationship with the client, when I say a personal relationship, I, I'm not saying that they become my friends. I'm just saying that I want it to be you know professional, but yet personable in the sense that they can. Um, you know, feel comfortable in discussing matters with me. But at the end of the day, it's 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 very much an exercise in the case itself. Um, as loathsome as that individual may be in terms of the allegation, and there are times where it's, it's pretty self-evident that the allegations are probably true. Um, as loathsome as that may be, uh, you do need to focus on the case itself, and you do need to almost be um, completely objective, if you will in your assessment of that case. And that, I think, helps you in, in not becoming emotionally attacked. Um, I, I know we're not doing a lot of war stories, and I don't think we should. But um, one of my first sort of feet to the fire cases was one where um, when you and I were together, uh, just uh, I think after we, uh, we moved up to Western Road, uh, and I had a, a client who was charged with sexually assaulting uh, five of his daughters. And that was a very difficult, difficult case. Um, And that case went all the way. It went all the way to the Superior Court of Justice. And I still remember like yesterday being before Justice Day in the Superior Court of Justice uh, arguing this case. And um, he was found guilty at the end, but notwithstanding that, and even right up to sentencing, I gave it my all. Um, Notwithstanding, I, committed myself to that case and I gave it everything I had and I think those are the test cases that um, every lawyer should go through just to just to give them the confidence um, to take on those difficult cases and to you know reach a little bit higher than they thought they could.
0: Everybody deserves a defense. Everybody deserves not to be judged. People don't understand that as criminal lawyers, we're not there to judge our clients. We right. take the clients on, they're charged with uh, an offense that discusses their behavior in a transaction. It's something occurred over a period of time in a certain jurisdiction in a certain offense. We don't wear a red sash and right. we're not gods but what we are are people to ensure that democracy is valued and we ensure that everybody has a lawyer uh, and if they want a lawyer we'll be there to defend them rudy's done this.
1: Yeah. that's uh, fundamental absolutely fundamental
0: and you've been on the front lines for 30 years not to get
1: over <laughs> You know, I wanna, I wanna, if I may, I, I just wanna read something and I don't get a lot of these, but I received this um, very, very nice thank you uh, card from uh, a gentleman I helped out uh, just before Christmas. And it reads in part um, as follows, he's a young man. He says, um, I finally realized that I wanna become a lawyer and lead by your example on how one should be. You're a very caring, understanding and very honest, Person who strives to help people during their time of need. A lot of lawyers do their job in search of monetary compensation and disregard their clients. You treated me like a friend and have done tremendous things that I'm very appreciative for." And you know what, it's it's messages such as these that really um, instill that true belief that everyone deserves a defense, everyone is entitled to good representation, And it's nice every once in a while uh, to be recognized uh, for doing what we do every day.
0: I just want to leave by saying to all the young lawyers out there, I wish you a tremendous career, an ethical career, a career that where you know your client and you defend your client fearlessly like Rudy Cofre and Are lucky enough to have the same sort of recognition on your successes helping people thank you for sharing your stories with us rudy and thank you for sharing your time
1: my pleasure all the best to everyone and everybody be safe thank you
0: thank you for listening to today's podcast Shout out to our fantastic producers, Xenia Sethna and Jason Cooper. For more free legal education and to check out what we've been doing for the past 10 years, go to thelawgarage.com. That is thelawgarage.com.